Hi everyone, you are listening to LD Spotlight, a podcast about learning and development brought to you by Nifty Learning. I'm your host, Liz Stefan, and together we're here to learn about LD. Welcome back to LD Spotlight, everybody. I have a very special guest today, Bülent Tuaji. He works as a senior strategic advisor and organizational designer for platform scale-ups in Europe. When he's working with LD teams, he helps them increase their strategic impact. He helps LD teams connect learning results with business results better and contributes to develop organizational capabilities. Welcome. I'm very happy to have you on our podcast today. Hi, and uh, happy to be here. I was very excited when I came across your profile because I've been looking for a while for people to talk to about the strategic role of learning and development. I'm a firm believer that L&D teams should be at the let's say, strategic table of an organization. But I feel that there are some things here that maybe not all L&D teams are doing, let's say, very well. I want to kick off the conversation by first asking you, what does it mean to have an L&D strategy or to be strategic about learning? Yeah, this strategy topic is something that I'm really passionate about. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is to get strategy down from the ivory tower. So usually strategy is perceived as this uh, very complicated thing that is being done by very few people at the top of the organization, which in fact is very far from the reality of strategy. Maybe it helps before jumping into L&D strategy and uh, how L&D could be strategic to discuss a bit about what strategies in some simple plain words for me based on my explorations and my experiences with strategy it is actually about finding some ways forward so you are in a context that context can be business context in a market in a business ecosystem or it could be an organizational context with some colleagues with some stakeholder groups and so on or it can be an individual context your career your professional life so in that context how can you find your way forward sometimes you might have something like a vision something to aspire to at some time in the future we want to get there but other times uh, you don't need necessarily this type of uh, aspirational things from the future but it's rather Okay, I'm here. I've been uh, evolving on the path like this, or we have been evolving as a team or as an organization like this. What's next? What's our way forward going further? So with this in mind, this strategy word, I hope it becomes less scary and less uh, from the ivory tower. And strategy is something that you need to continuously be aware of and to continuously adjust because in how we navigate through uncertainty in life, whether it's the individual's life, the team's life, or the life of the business, you constantly ask yourself, what's our way forward? What are we going to do from now on? What are we going to prioritize from all the options that we could have? 
And of course, there are various metaphors uh, like uh, climbing a mountain. And let's say the vision is on the top of the mountain and there are various ways of getting on top of the mountain, various strategies that you might pursue, like, for example, going on the beaten path, on the path that has been walked by others before you, taking a helicopter, going from tree to tree. You know, there are many ways. And that's why you can connect this idea of strategy, but this down-to-earth idea of strategy as a viable way forward, you can connect it to L&D. Out of this intersection between L&D and strategy, it would be, okay, what's the way forward for the learning and development in an organization? And of course, in order to get to answer this way forward question, there are various activities, tools that might help, like being aware and making sense of where you are, what are your capabilities, what you can rely on, on your path, to ask yourself what might be some possible options, so some strategic directions that you might invest in. And if you would invest in that specific path, what would the path bring as upsides, downsides, and various other enabling activities to answer this simple question, uh, what's the way forward for this context? Specifically, what's the way forward for the learning and development of the organization? I was going to ask you, is the L&D department a follower when it comes to organizational strategy? Is the L&D department a contributor? a trendsetter, meaning if a company wants to, I don't know, sets a goal, growth, uh, sales, a new geography, a new product line, something, what's the position of the L&D team and the function itself in relation to that particular goal? In my experience, uh, it depends uh, a lot on the uh, business, on the history of that business, and of course, on uh, what the perceptions about uh, learning and development are in that organization. To give you an example, if we think about the life cycle of a business, how it evolves and expands and provides more value for many segments of customers at some point through diversification, you might think, okay, on the people side, what the business leaders, uh, so the people making decisions, they might prioritize first talent acquisition. When finding that product market fit as a startup, let's say, we discovered and managed to develop a product or offer a service that's valuable for a specific niche in the market that we're connected with, then they might need to ramp up, to onboard, to attract talent, to be able to fulfill the mission of that business, to be able to create the value proposition. Usually, in my experience, on the people side, what gets prioritized as the business grows is the talent acquisition, hiring activities. Going forward, of course, people that are part of the business need to develop. And here, there's an intersection with the culture of that specific business. Which, of course, at the beginning is an extension, is a manifestation of the culture of the founders, so the founding team. Then, as people join, everyone brings new perspectives, new experiences to the common table. And, of course, it might be very relevant to be aware of the perceptions these initial people 
have about learning and development. So that's why in some scale-ups, for example, so the business is past the startup phase, there are cultures, there are organizations that prioritize learning and development more because of how the people currently in that business perceive the value of learning and development. At the same time, in other contexts, in other cultures, in other organizations, it might not be perceived as such a valuable area to invest in when the mindset is, okay, we can always hire, we have the capital to hire people that are already experienced, developed in the areas that we need. We have the capital to pay good salaries to attract senior people and all that. There are lots of variations. And of course, the L&D team that usually starts with one person that takes on this maybe initially part-time and then full-time role as the L&D person that supports the whole organization at that point in the life cycle can position themselves taking into account the organizational context. So if learning and development is valued by the colleagues in the organization, the L&D person might be in a position of more influence from the get-go where they can build on this momentum and on this perception of value of learning and development. Other times, when the initial L&D role is created more like, uh, okay, we need to organize some trainings for our people and we need somebody dedicated to this. So more like an L&D admin type of role that needs to connect with various learning providers, uh, do this matchmaking and organize some learning sessions. It might be harder because the start was like this from an admin perspective, it might be harder to position themselves as the anticipating strategic trendsetter, like you asked, type of positioning. So it varies a lot as the starting point. I realize that both you and I might be biased towards L&D or towards its um, increased significance in the organization. But I will ask this because I heard a lot of ifs and a lot of you know, perceived value and so on. Is or is it not true that any organization must have an L&D function? Well, if I am to answer this question from an organizational design perspective, my perspective here is that uh, it's not mandatory to have an L&D dedicated function in any organization or any type of business. If we connect with the idea that it's important for people to learn, for people to develop, we have these two activities that are very connected and are very connected also to work, to performance. So learn and develop. The idea of uh, creating an L&D function, maybe initially with an LED role, to be able to catalyze, to enable these two activities to happen in the organization better, is one path. Other ways of organizing learning and development as activities in the organization, of course, might be to distribute the experience, expertise needed uh, by people in the organization. And I've also advised some internal communities of practice. People who see value in sharing with their peers in the organization 
and organizing themselves without necessarily the help of a L&D professional who does this full-time, to organize themselves to help their colleagues learn, develop through sharing sessions, mentoring, coaching, or curating or selecting interesting, relevant e-learning platforms, courses. Of course, there are many, many methods. But coming back to your question, it's not mandatory. And it's a difference between being an L&D practitioner, where you, as a person, you practice various L&D approaches, methods, activities, implement L&D tools, and so on. It's a difference between this and being an L&D professional. So the core of your professional identity is to be in L&D and that you might have a full-time L&D role. My true belief is that anyone can be an L&D practitioner to practice various ways of learning and development and helping others to learn and develop. While, of course, when we're talking about the L&D function, the L&D team, it's more towards having L&D professionals that invest in becoming better as L&D professionals who are understanding various methodologies, various uh, tools, uh, and are able to create this added value through combining, linking business, learning, and technologies, and uh, so on. Okay. I've never heard this distinction made before. I also never considered that there could be a distinction. So I think I get what you're saying. Let me ask you something in a slightly different way, just to validate my understanding. Could you say that the goal of an L&D professional could, to a certain extent, be similar to the goal of a doctor? Meaning, an L&D professional would help the organization establish healthy learning behaviors to the point where they are no longer needed, in a way. Meaning, people become autonomous in being L&D practitioners, for example. Yes, it's one scenario that might play out. And I played a bit with the idea of learning ops, like you have design ops. Design ops, as an analogy, is this small team of design professionals who organize and enable the whole organization to be design practitioners. I'm a salesperson and I need to design an offer because that offer needs to be designed not only visually, but as elements that might resonate with the customer. And these design ops teams, they create design systems, they create all the kind of an infrastructure, templates, this is what to use when you need job aids, things like this. And similarly, we could think about learning ops as this team of professionals who invest and are up to date. They understand the learning and development practices, theories, technologies, trends, everything, and can help leverage all these insights to enable the whole organization, so their colleagues that are not in L&D, to be autonomous learners, continuous learners, and not necessarily rely on this deprecated, I might say, paradigm of 
okay, we are organizing things for our colleagues. Because organization as an activity is not something like a differentiator. People can organize themselves. And I've seen this in countless occasions in the companies I've worked with. For example, people wanted to share about a specific technology. And instead of, okay, let us find a trainer, let us find an expert, maybe you could help those people that uh, naturally gather and uh, organize themselves over a lunch. Sharing session? Yeah, brown bag session or something. I, I think it was. Maybe you could enable those behaviors and amplify that kind of self-organization around topics of interest. Or if you have some internal communities, for example, parenting or eating healthy, you might want to enable the internal community builders that are not necessarily the L&D people in the organization to be able to engage the community, to be able to organize themselves, to bring some external guests, to create value for their colleagues, mm -hmm. you know, and as a professional, as an individual, if you connect to the value of the things that you are creating and not to these historical ways of creating this type of value, it offers freedom to be able to see some other perspectives. So, okay, if we want to encourage more learning, more development in the organization to encourage this learning culture, the way in which we are traditionally organizing, doing all the learning needs assessments, synthesizing the needs assessment, and based on this, finding some uh, vendors to address those, and then making sure we measure the various uh, learning interventions and uh, so on. This is a way, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the only way of creating value in this uh, L&D space. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking now about something I became aware of while building the company. So since we are a startup, we are focusing a lot of our activity on interacting with our customers and extracting the value. So the jobs to be done, how to do them better, the objective of each task and trying to, to figure out the way that supports them better. And sometimes it is technology, sometimes it's something else, sometimes it's a procedure, it's a, an approach and so on. And I was thinking now that there's this, this concept called value chain. And if I'm hearing you right, an L&D professional could look at the way people get self-organized in those communities of practice and being aware of the value or watching the value chain they would go to those places where additional value could be extracted. For example, a team of developers is getting together to talk about a specific topic and an L&D professional could intervene and say, why don't you record that session or take some notes or document the process? Or if you're doing some sort of practical example, why don't you record that on a shared screen or something? And we can just save it and you'll, you'll have it later in our knowledge bank for, I don't know, a refresher or something like that. Is this the kind of enablement that you're talking about? Yes. So one key idea that you mentioned is to be aware of this value. What's valuable for our colleagues? What's valuable for our customers? What's valuable for our partners and for other types of stakeholders? Because I've seen, for example, cases 
when the LND team created value not only for the internal uh, stakeholders, so the colleagues they had, but also to the customers. And it was a very meaningful experience for the L&D professionals to be aware that through what they do best, so understanding learning and development as these activities that create value for the individual, for the team, for the organization, they managed to create a value also for the customer. So not only in the internal boundaries of the organization. So this idea of understanding value, value proposition, value chain, or this value ecosystem, that of course, learning and development can amplify in this knowledge society that we have, where, for example, many companies are transposing their social capital and intellectual capital and other types of human-related capital into added value for their customers and capturing financial capital. So capturing financial value out of this exchange. So value is a key idea to be aware of. And the other key idea connected to this is behaviors. Behaviors are these ways of transforming inputs to outputs. You can create this value, okay, through activities that are made of behaviors and it's useful then if you want to amplify, if you want to encourage specific behaviors that together in a collective context create more value, maybe it would be important for L&D professionals to also understand these behaviors. Of course, there are connected fields like behavior change. If you want to encourage new behaviors in your organization, if you want to encourage existing behaviors that are not done as frequently as the business or the organization might need, as a L&D professional, you might have the levers, the types of interventions and of interacting with the others to be able to sustain and inspire this behavior change. So these two concepts, value and behavior, I think are relevant for our conversation. If I were to go back to the example of a community of practice spontaneously forming inside a company, their conversation produces this tiny little nugget of value that could be used further for, let's say, a new joiner. And then this is, let's say, this addresses the value point. Then the L&D professional Thinking about a potential behavior that could enable this kind of value to perpetually be created in the future could speak to those people who put together these communities of practice, help them form a new behavior of, for example, capturing the value from those meetings, and then every once in a while remind them, hey, did you recently have this uh, meeting with your community of practice? Did you capture the knowledge there? This is where the knowledge bank is. This is a cute format in which you could, you know, summarize your ideas. Maybe you can do a recording of the screen the next time and so on. I believe this is where the L&D professional could become a behavior change enabler, right? Yes. And of course, there are many, many behavior change strategies, so ways of influencing, encouraging behaviors, because of course, 
a close word to behavior is habit. So you can have specific behaviors that might happen at some point sporadically on the go, people doing specific things, or you could ask yourself, okay, from my role, from the types of interactions and activities that we could do as the L&D team or as the single L&D person in this organization, how could we nurture the development of these valuable or healthy habits that contribute to the learning and development in the organization, to the strengthening of the learning culture? Because if you go into this culture space, which is very complex with many things interacting with each other in order to create this culture, behaviors are one element in there. Mm-hmm. Other elements, of course, are the language that is being used, various uh, norms, the various uh, mindsets. And uh, at some point, I identified four levels of depth of cultural elements, five elements, so around 20 elements that are continuously interacting with each other to form the culture, for which the LND team could, of course, influence, for example, even in terms of vocabulary, in terms of the words being used, it might have an influence to use some words that convey some specific meanings that are more helpful for the organization. Like, for example, let's take innovation. It's a word that's uh, been used a lot. (laughs) It might be very fuzzy. What might help is to bring some new words in this innovation space, but that have a more specific meaning, like product discovery or jobs to be done, but with this risk of being understood differently by different people. So you need to have this coherence of what jobs to be done are. Are the colleagues in the product team using jobs to be done as a concept similarly to the colleagues in the sales and marketing and customer support team to this specific use case of new words that might help the organization progress and create value, L&D could create or encourage these conversational spaces inside the organization to try to help people align. And it's kind of a negotiation of the meaning. So when we're talking about innovation, when we're talking about strategy, which is another word that, as we said at the beginning of our conversation, it's a bit loaded. Maybe some other words can help that specific organization progress with what they need. And of course, L&D can have an influence on all these cultural elements. Yeah, I I realize now from your example that even aligning on the understanding of certain words can play a major role in a company working more smoothly or progressing faster just out of sheer, you know, misunderstandings about words. You could create a lot of problems. So I can understand the power of the impact. Okay. Very, very cool. I want to quickly go back to a thing which I I think this would be the key of L&D becoming strategic to the organization. So when we say that an L&D professional or an L&D function, let's say, looks at and understands the value and the behaviors in the organization, that is where L&D can actually impact things like productivity, accuracy of work, 
maybe even satisfaction with the jobs done and so on. Obviously, growth, development, learning. And I believe that understanding these things, value and behavior, and enabling progress in these two specific areas is what can make an L&D function be strategic. Is that correct? Yes, in the sense that these two, the value and the behaviors, are good starting points. At the same time, in order to unlock strategic thinking in L&D, what I found in my experience, the best starting point for being able to think strategically is to be able to zoom in, zoom out. So to be able to go from the macro level to the micro level. So let's say micro level is behavior. We're thinking people doing, so doing is the behavior part, things in their work life day by day, week by week, collectively as an organization, they are and will create value to the customers, to each other, and so on. So behaviors are at this micro level. At the same time, it might be helpful to go at the other zoom out level, macro level of, do I understand what our business is doing? Do we understand as an L&D team what is happening in the markets that our business is serving? So this uh, ecosystem level view. Because if you're able to switch from very specific, very micro level understanding and interventions and enablement to this macro, very high level and profound understanding and influencing and enablement. So for example, let's say at the macro level, I'm giving this example of data science. Okay, so lots of talk about data, another overused word. What if we, as the L&D team, discover ways in which our organization can effectively develop its data science capability, so to be able, at the organization level, to use data science in order to make better business decisions, to anticipate stuff, trends, patterns, and everything. This might actually unlock some very strategic things at the macro level. For example, let's say you are an e-commerce business operating in a specific geography, but without having this data science capability in your organization. From time to time, you go to various experts, various consultancies to help you with synthesizing, processing, and having the dashboards and all that. What if the L&D team, understanding the macro level, so this ecosystem, the market, the collection of markets in which the business operates, is able to figure out that data science would be a very important and strategic capability that would unlock new options for the business and proactively come and influence, lobby, make the case for uh, developing the data science capability in-house. So you see, it's useful for thinking strategically to be able to uh, make this jump usually very fast from the most macro level to the most micro level. Because strategy as this way forward, it connects the macro with the micro level. It connects the internal with the external. It connects the uh, present with the future. It's at this 
Intersection. Intersection or in between, macro, micro, mm-hmm. inside, outside. So this data science example explains, for, for me at least, it explains almost the purpose of having an LND function that is really, really well immersed in the work context, understands what's going on, for lack of a better way to phrase it. I want to say here two things. One of them is I feel like very rarely does an L&D function or professional even consider these aspects, especially the the macro aspect. I feel like most L&D people spend a lot of time in the micro, in the behaviors, in the let's train this skill, that skill, but not necessarily connected to the strategic purpose of building that skill. That's one thing. And another thing I'm thinking about is, does it even fall on the shoulders of L&D to live so much in the macro? Almost like saying, why would L&D look at the market context to figure out that data science is a capability that could enable business growth when maybe it's the job of someone in the board or the CEO or someone in the leadership team? Almost like, are they overlapping responsibilities? Who bears the the true weight of this sort of strategic thinking? Yeah, I I got the gist of it. So to the value conversation we had earlier, if you truly connect to creating value, this transcends jobs. So jobs are basically a way in which to structure work to create reliable outcomes, reliable results in a specific area of the organization. And if you are connected with this question of, for example, how could we create more value for our colleagues in this learning and development space? How could we create more value for our customers, maybe to educate the market? Many times businesses are needing to educate the markets they're serving so that the customers see the value that the business is creating and so on. So if you have these kind of questions, these questions transcend the boundary of your job. You don't ask yourself anymore, okay, is it my job or is it the job of a director or is it the job of the HR manager or of some other people? So that's one point. And my message here is that you don't have to spend most of your time and energy at the macro level. What I'm saying is to be connected to these levels. And connection, of course can happen through various ways. You could have direct connection in the sense that you are also putting aside some time to do a bit of market understanding activities like following some news about your retail sector or your banking sector or this kind of stuff. You could, for example, be connected through some colleagues like having one-to-one once in a while, maybe once in a quarter, you don't have to have it weekly, but having the pulse of what goes on in the market, so the whole ecosystem, through some people that are operating, are interacting with competitors, are interacting a lot with customers, regulators, and other people. Or it might not be a one-to-one. It might be, and I've seen this and we've done this, for example, in Adobe and in other companies I've been with, the idea of having a colleague 
that is connected to a specific level and specific part of that level to come and do a 30 minutes sharing, like 20 minutes sharing plus 10 minutes Q&A. It's enough to get a pulse of what's happening in this specific market or with that specific line of products. You know, you don't need lots of investment of time and energy to be connected. Of course, in order to live at that level, you would need significant investments. But in order to create this value that we were talking about and to come up with these anticipations, with these proposals, with these initiatives that might create more value for how learning and development happens in the organization, you might need only to be connected and to get this pulse that would help you make the decisions to come with the initiatives and all that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's even good enough as an L&D professional to expose yourself to all of these contexts just to hear some words that you're not necessarily familiar with, new concepts, and just start doing some Googling. Ah, data science. Hmm, interesting. What can data science do for a company? Oh, look, so it could do this. And maybe you go back to that stakeholder and you tell them, what if we built this capability or do you have any plans of building this capability? Look, I think it could enable this or that kind of growth. Yes. And for example, there is this idea of pairing with a specific type of colleague in a specific role, like in customer support or in sales or in, I don't know, purchasing. And from that pairing, one hour to of kind of shadowing or staying close to that colleague, on the one side, you get to experience what's it like to be in a phone call with a customer, to be in a negotiation with a vendor on your side and on the colleague side to have a fair exchange of value, you could use your experience, your expertise as an L&D professional to pinpoint, look, here are some things that might help you and the colleagues in purchasing in terms of negotiating, or here are some things that might help you in sales to do video calls, video selling better, because we have this kind of insights, resources in our organization. And also the possibilities are endless when you connect with this idea of value. How is value created? How could we create more value through what we are able to do and what we are connected with through the links that we have already inside and outside the organization. I realize now that it's practically impossible for any L&D function to genuinely be a strategic partner or have a strategic role in the organization if they don't spend time with the people that they help. The reason I'm saying this is I've frequently seen those situations where the L&D function interacts only occasionally or based on some sort of calendar of tasks with the people, with the organization, and then they retire back to their L&D bubble and they do the work there. And I'm thinking here of those yearly needs analyses or those employee performance reviews or whichever sort of traditional people process. And then outside of these traditional people processes, the L&D function just behaves like a sort of administrator or a scheduler, an organizer of stuff, a curator of resources, but not necessarily being that intimately connected to each business function's objectives or metrics or goals. And I think this is quite 
bad actually. It's almost like what is the point of having an LND function if it doesn't intimately connect with values and you know positively, constructively influence behaviors and contribute basically, I think is the word I'm looking for. Yes, and there's this principle, of course, that's being used in other parts of the organization that create value by design, like product development. The fact that you need to be connected, you need to have this pulse of value in order to be able to create value for the beneficiaries of your work. If you don't have this pulse, if you are not connected to the reality of your in the L&D case of your colleagues in the rest of your organization throughout the year, maybe week by week, month by month, and not necessarily formalized like the quarterly learning review. Okay, it might be a good habit to have put in place this kind of a more thorough review and ways of exploring together with the colleagues. What else might we do to enable you to learn and so on? But there are multiple, multiple ways of being connected and getting this pulse of value, I think I would phrase it. And having this pulse of value will help you intuitively, analytically, uh, using your experience, expertise, connecting with the partners, vendors, and so on, create more value for learning and development in the organization. That's why I really believe in this repositioning and maybe redesigning the ways of working in L&D to be more connected to this very complex and rich life in the organization of creating value in business. It's not something very simple that once per year or once per quarter we get the inputs We analyze and these are the deliverables that if the others don't use, okay, it's their fault. When you're connected and you don't have to live in the sales world, you don't have to live in the marketing or product or tech or all the other worlds that are inside the organization and outside. But when you're connected, it's easy to make sense of what would be valuable from your perspective from your experience and expertise to amplify value, to create new types of value, to basically innovate in terms of uh, how learning and development happens in your uh, organization. It almost sounds like there's an implicit expectation from the L&D professional to be the superhuman who understands all these contexts and is able to get that insightful that they are able to suggest ideas or offer advice or contribute. And I'm thinking here that probably most L&D professionals can't realistically understand everything in all those worlds that you're talking about, the tech world, the procurement world, the whatever, sales world and whatnot. And I'm thinking it might seem daunting because to me it would, if I were in a position to understand, just the task of understanding itself, each of these tiny little worlds to me would be a bit scary, honestly, and probably it's time intensive and intellectually quite demanding. Yes. But you can always take it, I would say, step by step, just checking for understanding. Did I get this right? You go back to your L&D bubble and you think of an idea based on what you think you understand. Then you go to the world of sales and you ask them, look, is this something that you feel would add value? Because it feels like a lot rides on the shoulders of an L&D professional 
And this sort of consultancy role, consultancy approach can become very complex very quickly to the point where so much information could even pollute your ability as an early professional to bring value. Yeah, so the challenge here is to find find what works for you, your L&D team, in your specific context, and to find this informational balance, I might uh, say. And an inspiring format for me related to this, there are some wired videos on YouTube where professionals in various areas explain the same thing at various levels. So they explain it to a small kid, they explain it to a high schooler, to a student, and they explain it to a PhD. So what I came to realize is that you don't need to understand at the PhD level. You don't need to understand at the level that a senior sales or a senior developer or even a mid-level. So you need to have some working understanding of how that part of the organization creates value. Okay, so sales. In a nutshell, sales understands the market, the needs in the market of the various customer segments, and then connects these needs with the offerings of the business. Once they identify various needs of the customer, they are able to decide if the offering, whether it's a product or service of the business, will or will not address that need in those specific parameters. And of course, so this is the core thing. In order to do this, there are enablement activities to create this type of value, such as relationship development. Another enabling activity is to keep up to date with the product services to be able to update their understanding. So this type of very simple explanation of what those people do, many times it's enough to be able to think, okay, I'm an L&D and our colleagues in sales need to have a constant up-to-date understanding of our products and services that we're developing and offering as the business. So how could we use learning methods, various types of learning interventions, experiences, and all that to be able to help our colleagues in sales do this core thing they need to do in order to create value by matchmaking with the customers easier, faster, with less hassle. You know, so it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And I can go and explain all the functions that I interacted with in a business in a few phrases. But these phrases are the essence of that function because they are connected to the value. Why does that function exist? Usually the existential questions are around value because if they wouldn't provide value so that the whole business functions better or the various parts of the business function better or the customers get more value, that function wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, So you, you can get to the essence of specific parts of the organization by asking this value question. <laughs> And if I flip it around, L&D also has almost the obligation to itself to explain its purpose and its value to the other business functions, I would assume, no? Yes. 
in the same simple terms, just explaining. And the reason I'm saying this is because I often see that L&D isn't necessarily perceived as value adding or not as obviously value adding as the sales function or the customer support function. And I'm thinking that in order to keep itself relevant, L&D has the task of understanding how and why other business functions exist in the organization, then it's almost a duty of L&D towards itself to also explain itself. I, I wouldn't use uh, necessarily duty because it's kind of uh, another loaded word, but it makes sense. It's something valuable to have this clarity on what's the value that you provide. And here there are various tools, activities, like uh, there's this idea of value proposition design. So value proposition design, as you know, is this activity through which you explore various types of value that you could provide and would be relevant for your internal or external customers. And then you decide on a simple value proposition. So something that you don't need 10 pages to explain. If the LNT team would have an internal website where it could present the value they're offering, the services, products, and everything, the value proposition is the phrase that you would see in the middle of the first page of the mm-hmm. website. So what's that catchy phrase? that the others that are the beneficiaries of that value would resonate with about what L&D creates for them. Uh So that's why in value proposition design, you need to get to the essence of what you're offering and not have long, multiple paragraphs. We're doing this and that and helping you and reducing hassle and allowing your growth career. No, what's that simple phrase that... uh, communicates the value that you're creating for your colleagues. That's an exercise that I would encourage all the listeners to do. Or if you already have a value proposition that you have been communicating to your colleagues in the organization, maybe to revisit it as a quick exercise together as an L&D team, because you might be surprised of how much this context of value in the organization and also outside has changed in the past few months, years or so. The central idea, I guess, after reflecting back on all our conversation today is around this connecting to value, to what value is for the organization as a whole, for various parts of the organization, for the customers and other entities outside the organization, but that have links with the organization. And of course, what value is for you as the L&D professional or the whole L&D team. That's something that connects a lot with strategy. I guess the best thing for an L&D professional or L&D as a function to do is to start looking into these notions start speaking to the various teams, understanding the purpose of their existence and figuring out ways in which L&D can amplify the purpose of their existence. Okay, so looking at the value, understanding the behaviors that generate that value, 
being good listeners, active listeners, being able to convey their own purpose of existence as an L&D function, which also helps the other departments, maybe even helps them help themselves in a way. So <laughs> as soon as the L&D function can explain how it amplifies the value of all the other business functions, it might even make it easier for the other business functions to reach out to L&D to create these sort of value amplifying activities. Is that a fair summary? Yes, in the sense that when you have clarity of what you're bringing to the table, this is another way of phrasing what's the value that you're offering. And when you have clarity on what the others bring to the table and what the others need in terms of added value, it's way easier to connect and to have this very interlinked approach where you are more relevant. And to increase the relevance as a professional and also as a team, you create more value. So I hope it makes sense. And I just want to end with this message that it doesn't have to be something very complicated, very difficult. As I was making that analogy, is understanding at the foundational level. You don't need to be experts. You don't have to be a senior or a PhD or master's level in all the other, because there are lots of other areas. And we're not talking only about functions. We're also talking about domains, about business units. So various ways of clarifying, of structuring work and value. Uh, you don't need to understand everything in depth, but you need to understand the foundations so that you can connect better through your perspective, through your lenses, learning and development professionals to be able to co-create value, amplify value, leverage, facilitate value, and all these other types of contributing to the whole organization. Thank you for that summary. That's wonderful. I appreciate the level of detail that you went to in explaining how L&D can keep itself relevant. I think that this is either mentioned in passing or mentioned almost like a buzzword or a buzz phrase, but hmm. I haven't seen that many resources where the connection is made so clearly. Just the way you referred to the value and the behavior and how L&D can immerse itself in the context of where these behaviors happen and where this value is created. I think it's an excellent, excellent way of explaining the whole landscape. And I really appreciate you taking the time to cover this topic today. I'm happy to hear that. And it was a pleasure to let this conversation emerge because while having this conversation with you, I was also discovering some of these connections that I didn't link before. The question also brings the connections. And maybe another message would be to pay attention to the questions that you ask yourself as a professional or as a team in order to see what those questions lead to. So maybe with other questions, some other types of approaches and results and added value can emerge. I definitely agree. Thank you for being here. Thank you.
Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been another episode of L&D Spotlight. If you'd like to get in touch and join the conversation, write to me at liz at niftylearning.io or connect with me on LinkedIn at Liz Stefan. Have a productive week, everyone.